Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. The Old Testament lesson today is Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time... He will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on the light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exalt when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading will be taken from Matthew's gospel. We are in the fourth chapter. We'll be reading verses 12 through 23. This is the call of the first disciples from Matthew's perspective. I invite you to hear again with fresh ears. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing the sick of every disease and every sickness among the people. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's two understandings of time in the Bible, especially our New Testament Greek understanding. The first word is chronos, from where we get chronology. It is the simple day-to-day ticking of time. It is the simple way that we look at our clocks to measure, judge, that is always a part of our lives. It's not necessarily positive, not necessarily negative, but we know it can be. Youth, if y'all are sitting in that biology lab and you hate biology, you're watching that clock, you're watching every tick. If you are sitting in work, you're getting ready to head out for the weekend, it's Friday, it's 4.45, you're done at 5, you're watching the clock. There is a sense in which this chronos time just ticks. It's just there. A lot of that time is time that we just have to wade through and we just work with. How are we going to spend our time? What are we doing for the next hour? Which makes up a large part of our life. Second word is kairos. That is a more meaningful sense of the way that you use your time. In some basic ways, it's what we call God time. It is the way that the things you do celebrate and are things that you remember in your life. It is the celebrations in your life, the relationships in your life. Even in some of the tragedies and trials, the fact that others are there with you, that God is with you, that you were supported and loved, even in the midst of hardship and tragedy, can be Kairos time. It is time that when we remember through our lives, we're not going to remember how we necessarily spent all that Kronos time, but it's the Kairos time that we value and treasure. Even from the failures from which we learn and grow, that too can be Kairos time. So enter that understanding into this call story. We have a sense, we know it. Jesus came to the lakeshore, first four were there, they were fishermen, come with me, they followed and they went. We know it, we get it. But as we look at the beginning of the passage in Matthew, we see first of all that John the Baptist has been arrested. Now he's not yet, that will happen later, 10 chapters later in Matthew 14, where because of his interaction with Herod and his wife who he stole from his brother, that John will proclaim against them that they are doing bad things, and then John will be arrested and eventually killed. We're not to that point yet, but he's been arrested. Some think that because of what we just celebrated a few weeks ago in baptism, remember that was a ritual for the community that wasn't happening in the temple. John the Baptist was this kind of renegade person of faith that was doing things outside of the established order. It may very well be that he was arrested because of this crazy, radical, outside of the normal teachings baptism. But for whatever reason, John's arrested, not yet going to die. But it opens the door for Jesus to come in and start to claim, at least in this case, the first disciples. So as we know, Jesus walks along and sees first Andrew and Simon Peter, will eventually become Peter. 
and they're out tossing their nets. All these four were fishermen, not with rods and reels, but with their casting nets. So they were out there doing their every day, out there not expecting the Messiah to walk up to them and talk to them, not quite knowing who this was at first, but also very little delay in their response. Why is it that they follow so quickly? Did Jesus do some miracle hocus-pocus on them so that they would just know and follow? Had they been trained to look and expect the Messiah already? John gives us a little bit of middle ground. John the Baptist, before he is arrested, and in John's gospel, the chronology is just a little bit different, in that Andrew and Peter are right there doing their thing, and they're with John the Baptist. And Christ comes, and although implied, it's almost as if Jesus says, uh, John the Baptist says, this is the one I've told you about. This is the one I told you was coming. And so immediately they responded because they had been prepared to expect him. That makes sense. But the others don't give us any of that understanding. They come and immediately they followed. Immediately. Eutheos is, is the Greek word that means a direct response. They didn't dilly dally. They didn't linger. They didn't go to the bank to see, well, if I, if I take a few months out here, how much do I have here? What about the family? We know some of them had families. Didn't go home and check things with the wife first. Maybe the families came with them. I think there's a good chance of that. But imagine yourself, God coming to you in your workplace or at home. If I was a plumber, Jesus came to me and said, follow me. And then I went home to Vicky. I said, guess what? Guess what? I'm going to follow this itinerant, poor preacher who has no power, no context. I don't really know much about him. We're not going to make any money. I don't know what we're going to do with the kids. We're going to be traveling the whole time. Are you in? I'm out. We'll see you. Of course, it's ridiculous. But they didn't check. Immediately, they followed him. Immediately. So the call to us clearly is to follow Christ. But it's almost as if this immediate, there was some sense that maybe they were almost imprinted with the idea of God with them. So that when Christ came, something inside of them connected. There's a story of pastor and teacher, PCUSA leader Roger Nishioka, in his commentary on this passage, tells a story from his childhood that I know I relate to, maybe some of y'all can too, his dad was a Presbyterian minister, and one solid rule in their house was that they could not watch TV while they ate dinner, period. These days, it would be no smartphone, no computer, and no TV. No earbuds, no things hiding in there. Except for one day. No TV with dinner. That was the time to connect, get to know each other, celebrate your relationships, except for one night, Sunday night. Because you remember what was on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Marlon Perkins, you remember? 
I do. I remember eating watching that. And why would his Presbyterian pastor father give up that one time for television? Roger says it's because his dad saw that as an exercise of faith that reminded him that he wanted to share with his kids about how amazing and intricate God's love is in the world and God as creator to see the intricacy and the beauty of the natural world that only God could have done. So for him, it was completely faith-generated. He remembers this one particular Sunday night when they were in Argentina, and it was about seals. A mother seal gave birth to her pup, and being out of food and energy and exhausted from the experience, left the pup, jumped into the water to go feed, recuperate, and then came back at the same time Mother pups are giving birth all up and down this seashore, this place where they were. And the mother comes back in a different spot. And young Roger says, how how are they going to find each other? All of these mothers are coming back to try to find their cubs. So they start the sounds. The cameras follow the mother and they think they'll never find each other. And they eventually do. And Marlon Perkins, the host, comes on and educates a little bit more and says, for the mother, the sight and the scent of her pup is imprinted on her. For the pup, the sight and scent of the mother is imprinted on the pup. So that while all we hear is barking and flapping around, They know exactly who and what they are listening for until eventually they find each other. And at this point, Roger's dad turns to him and says, that's the way it is with God. We are imprinted on who we are with a sense of God's presence and love in our lives. And God is imprinted with a sense of each one of us in God's life. And it may take a lifetime, but God's desire, joy, And hope is that sooner or later, God and each of us will come together. As the mother found her cub, so Christ seeks to find us. Did it click with something that God had already imprinted with these disciples to follow Christ and to go? Well, we don't know. But we know that God continues to be imprinted on our hearts and our lives. So the task for the day is for us to seek to move from just chronos time, that tick, 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 whatever, whatever, into more kairos, that is, God's meaningful and powerful and inspired time. Think about those two kinds of times in your life. If you give one hour a week to church and the rest of the week is chronos time, that is one over... 168, 168 hours in a week. Is that right? I'm going to go with that. Our task here that Christ is remembering us is that we need to equalize, if not flip, those numbers. Now, you can't do away with chronos time. That's, it's just a tool of measurement. Of course, that will be with us the rest of our lives. But if we only are experiencing one hour of chronos, that is God's valuable and powerful and inspiring time, we are not being transformed. We are not answering the call to which Christ comes and says, follow me. 
There is so much, Christ says, that I want to show you and share with you and so much that I am using your gifts to do and work through you to do. And we can miss all of that. The chronos time is the joy of our life. And we can so distract ourselves with entertainment and other just distractive tools that life can be all chronos and no kairos. What a waste of our lives. What a waste of the joy and grace we could be receiving and sharing. Tragic. So Christ comes and says, I'm starting with you guys. Your chronos time is about to begin. You don't even know it. So they follow. So what about this call is true for us? Are we still called or are we waiting to be like those fishermen? Preacher, when some amazing supernatural thing happens to me, I'm in. But until then, God doesn't exist. Okay. Well, let's think about that. We often are looking for big, huge Billboards, we're looking for our literal burning bush to say this is our call, can't deny it. But I also want you to think through your lives about times where you have felt like you were in the presence of Christ, God, the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was a conversion moment. Maybe you look back over your life to see that God has been working in it. To know that the call happens in big and small ways, individually and with others. I share with you uh, a call story from my life. I've shared it before, but three of you weren't here, so I'm going to share it again. So I wasn't exactly focused in college, wasn't always going to be a pastor. It wasn't until I started working with youth at my college for just a weekend gig that the Bible opened up to me and the world changed. It was through teaching others even though I grew up in the church every Sunday, never really allowed it, never really connected with it. It was only when I was a college student and was responsible for other young people that it, it, all of a sudden God took a hold of me because I opened myself. So I decided I didn't want to be a minister who wants to do that, but decided that Christian education, because I had been working with youth, is a creative, spirit-filled path, so I'll do that. So I spent two years at the Presbyterian School of Christian Education, two-year graduate school for Christian education in Richmond, Virginia, now absorbed into Union Theological Seminary in Richmond, Virginia again. But at that time, it was the only one of its kind. So I started there, and the first day, they took all of the new students, first-year students, to, uh, a to, to a, another church and had... Um, a cookout. They were playing volleyball. Everybody was having fun. There's music in the background. And I am having a panic attack. I'm looking around and I'm thinking, why am I here? What kind of ridiculous mistake have I made? All of these people are more faithful than I am. I know where I've been and what I've done, and it wasn't faithful. I'm, I'm just new to the Scripture game. I just told you I started a year or two ago. And all of these people, they've got it figured out. 
and they are called and they are faithful, and I'm some kind of rogue on the outside. So I start sweating, and I start to panic, and I'm looking around. These, they don't have a thought and a care in the world. I'm having meltdown. So we had our Bibles with us, and so I coincidentally went down to the lake shore, and I'm in a little bit of thicket, so I can't be seen, so nobody saw me, and I have an open and honest conversation with God, not denying my faith, but denying my call. Lord, I, I, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I need, I need to go. It was an admission by being there that the rest of my life would be spent in service through the church as a Christian educator at that point. It was all overwhelming. Was I really called? I'm pretty sure I'm not. So God, I'm, when this is over, I'm going to go. I'll call my folks when I get back to the dorm, and I'm, I'm coming home. So while I was there, I opened my Bible, and it opened to John 15. The passage is about God being the vine and we the branches. It says, I will abide in you if you abide in me. I heard in my head in a voice that was not my own. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I couldn't argue with it. That kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. It hasn't happened, didn't happen before that. It hasn't happened to me since in that particular way. But for that day and that moment, God called me into the ministry. Now, it doesn't have to be that kind of call. We're all called in our own ways. We are often called through other people. We are called through circumstances. We are called to study. We are called to experience. If you remember the, the Magi that we celebrated on Epiphany, they both had studied from an academic sense, enough to know that something was going on and they experienced the star that was before them. It was study and experience. We are called in a variety of ways through a variety of opportunities as God is always seeking to claim that imprint and connect with us yet again. But we're also called every day in small ways. And sometimes we can be called and called again. There's not just one call. We are continually called and challenged for new life. I share a second story with you about a trip I took with my former church, Christ Presbyterian Church in Tallahassee, Florida, through a ministry called Ports to Solomon. Lloyd and Melanie Monroe were those who ran it, and we went to Guatemala for a week with our youth and adults that came as well. Hmm as we are doing this summer. So we're there. I know how this works. Been on mission trips before. We gather, we do devotions in the morning. We get all, we have breakfast, we get ready. We go to the site, we work, we meet, we talk, we do our thing, we build, maybe stay for lunch, work through the afternoon, come home, shower up, have dinner, maybe learn some about the culture, have devotions at night, go to bed. That's it, that's what we do, it's a mission trip. So we're doing our thing. And we're told at the beginning of the week to pray for a boy, five or six years old, who has some kind of sickness that they can't quite figure out. So we pray for him as we do for anybody who's struggling. And Wednesday of that week, as we all gather to go to the job site, we're told the boy died. 
So they said, before we get to the job site, we have to go pick up a casket and take it to the family. Family has nothing. They're partners with this ministry that have helped them to live and survive. So we go by, and as you know, there's nothing more sad or awful than seeing a children or an infant's casket. So we pick it up and we take it. And I'm knowing that as pastor, I know what's coming. I learned my first mission trip. I have to always be ready. If you're a pastor, even a Christian, and on that trip, on a mission trip, you're going to be called to offer your faith, to help them in the way that they see you as pastor or missionary. So I'm on the bus. We're heading down there. I'm thinking Bible stories, Bible stories, children, 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 comfort, 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 just in case. So we get there, we deliver, and, and yes, these poor people, probably 20 people outside of their little dwelling, sad, heartbroken, grieving, as you would think, as would be the case with us. So I pray with them, we spend time with them, all of our youth are there, we're all doing our best to hold them and comfort them. Okay, so we left, we go to our site, and we find out later that day, that Thursday, the next day, they want us to come to the viewing. Come on, I did my thing. I prayed with them. They don't speak the English. Gotta go back again. Okay. So again, we're all ready. We go, we step inside their house. And in that culture, there were kind of lights, electric lights, some even neon and, and flower, plastic flowers, some fresh around. And there is the boy in his casket. Again, we are weeping. Our youth are doing their best to love and care for this family. We pray, we talk. I pray, I talk. Others are there to be in solidarity with them. Second day. So then we go to our work site. That night, they want us to come to the service the next day, the memorial service. Whew, okay. But it's not just the memorial service. In that culture, it is standard when people die to carry them in their casket from the house to the church in kind of a funeral procession through the street. So they asked us if we would carry their child. A tremendous honor. They didn't say, now are you, what, are, are you Protestant or are you Catholic? Are you president? Are you PCUSA? Are you ECHO? Are you PCA? What, what, what exactly are you? Tell me about, did you pass all your ordination exams at one time? Did you have to go back a second? Tell me about how long you've been in the ministry, where you serve, who you None of it. And it wasn't us personally, it's that we represented God to them. They knew I was a pastor, so they invited me to come. One of the representatives from Ports of Solomon came, as well as two others from our trip. One of the greatest honors of my life. And we proceeded to the church. We left it there and then exited out. The point of that is to say that even though we've been called, we are always being called to do new things in new ways. I knew how to do a mission trip. Been on a bunch. Here it is. There's a schedule as I lay it out. But I was being called for a new role for that time, for that family, as was the rest of our trip. Now, that hasn't happened to me on a mission trip before that or since then. It was a Kairos moment. 
It was a God moment filled with love and sadness and joy and grace and death and life and the way that we were all connected through the Holy Spirit. So we are being called as well. Yes, being called to follow Christ, absolutely. But every day we're being called to do things in new ways and fresh ways. An author has written, there's only one way to tell if a flower is alive, if it's growing. If the flower isn't growing, then it's dying. The third piece of this is that Jesus says, follow me to these disciples. He doesn't say, worship me. He doesn't say, adore me. He doesn't say, even abide with me. There's only one place where in the New Testament is said, worship me. And in Matthew, Mark, and John, the person who says that is Satan at the temptation of Christ in the beginning of his ministry. Jesus never says, come worship me. He says, believe in me five times, but he says, follow me 20 times. And here he says, follow me and you will have eternal life. Doesn't say that here. He says, follow me and your life will be happy-go-lucky. Follow me and you will be wealthy beyond compare. Follow me and all hardship and tragedy will disappear. Doesn't say any of that. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. He didn't go and give them an exam before he called them and say, how much of the Torah have you memorized? Go, Genesis. It's as if Jesus is saying, I don't care where you've been from. You're one of mine. I will teach you everything you need to know. You come with me. And what is connecting them is other people. Follow me and you will be in heaven. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me and I will help you bring other people in. And that is the third part of this ministry that is so important and so vital that we often forget. Yes, we are called, but we are called to go fish for others. So open yourself to responding to, to the questions of Christ, the demand. He doesn't ask. He says, follow me. God is imprinted on your heart and your life as you are on God's. It is time for us to recommit ourselves and in fresh new ways to follow Christ because we're being called to bring others in as we go out. What a celebration. What a gift. What a call. Hallelujah. Amen.